Hi guys, Sarah here from Highland Haven Aussies, Highland Haven Dog Training, and welcome to episode two of my podcast, Dog for Thought. Joining me today is my co-host, Sophie. Hi everyone. And today we're going to talk about what we love about the Australian Shepherd. Most of you have come our way through our Aussie social media page, so I assume many of these positives and potential drawbacks will be familiar to you. But some of them can be applied to any other breed. So let's get into it. Sophie and I took a little time and put down on paper the things we love and the things we find challenging about Aussies. And um, you want to start, Soph? Yeah, so let's start with like an easy topic, which is looks. Um, I mean, we could talk all day about this. I think they look phenomenal. I think they're a very unique breed. Uh, I think they have great size, uh, easy manageable coat, um, besides the shedding, of course. Um, and they're just nice, stocky dogs with the best part, obviously, being the wiggle butt. Um, it, it's just a overall a really nice-sized breed. Yeah, I agree. They're a great, like, medium-sized dog. So when you have them, they feel like a big dog um, until you bring them around a Labrador. And you're like, wait, my Aussie's actually pretty small. Uh, when you bring them around the Cocker Spaniel, they feel big. So they're like a real, true, medium-sized breed that, that really feel like a big dog that you could do anything with. Um, I agree about the coat and the, and the colors and stuff. That's, that's one of my favorite things is, is the Merle and the black try and the red try and all the varieties. Um, but that kind of can make it difficult, too, in breeding. Do you want to go into that, So, Sure. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about the positives of, of it in breeding first because I think it's so much easier to differentiate the puppies when they're first <laughs> That's born. That's true. Yeah, you don't need those little collars that you have to put on. You don't have to uh, take um, nail polish and, and paint them with nail polish to tell the difference between the litter of golden retriever puppies. They, they look really unique out of the womb, and um, we then take immediate photographs of them and name them and then stick the photographs on the wall and then just memorize their coat pattern. You're right, that, that does make it really easy when they're first born. And it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to be like, oh, is it going to be a blue one? Is there going to be a red one? Is there going to be a black one? It's like you never know what you're going to get. We're like, you know, you get a, a, a yellow lab. They're all going to be yellow for the most part. You know, they're all going to be... Or brown or black. brown or black. But it's, it's going to be, you know, the basic solid colors. It's not going to be all different marbly, different colored eyes and shapes and, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but because they are, they do have the merle in them, that can make it tricky to breed them because of the whole double merle thing. So for those of you who don't know, you can't breed two Merle dogs together. And I believe that's true for any breed that carries Merle, not just Aussie. You can't breed a double up, two Merles together. They make a double Merle, and it um, creates a dog that I can have like a 25% chance of being blind and or deaf, which, you know, obviously we don't want to do. Um, so that makes it a little trickier to find studs that you breed with your females because you have to look for you know if you have a merle the only such you can look for are solids or tries so let's talk about how we bred twiggy um i feel like this is a good segue into this conversation sure so we had four males to choose from one of them being her uncle so we obviously couldn't choose him um then we had a blue merle so we just talked about we can't breed two merles together uh and then we had 
two blacks to choose from. Um, one had a bobtail, which is when they're born with only half a quarter tail. Um, and the other one had a full tail. And because Twiggy was also born with a bobtail, we couldn't breed her um, with the, uh, another bobtail. So uh, we had to choose a black male with a full tail. Yeah, that, that certainly does add a, an extra level of complexity when choosing studs for dogs, specifically within the Australian Shepherd breed. Sophie mentioned the natural bobtail. Um, yeah, that's something that, that I learned early on. And if you breed two bobtails together, so two dogs who are naturally born with a quarter, half, or three-quarter tail, um, the, uh, the, some of the puppies can be reabsorbed in utero. And if the puppies do survive, um, they can come out with deformities. So that's something definitely the access to genetic testing has allowed us to you know, know the status of, of sire and dam so that we don't then mix them together. Uh, yeah, it can, it can be a little bit more complicated, I think, than some other breeds to, to breed Aussies because of things like the Merle gene and, and the natural bobtail. So that's a good segue into the general health of Australian Shepherds as a breed. Uh, I did mention that in my uh, first episode, how when I was looking to switch breeds, how it was important to me that the overall health of whatever breed I switched to was good. Um, and Aussies uh, are a pretty healthy breed on average. Uh, one of the things that has really helped us as breeders, like I mentioned, is the access to genetic testing. Uh, none of us could know, looking at an, a, an Australian Shepherd who has, had, has a dock tail, whether that dog was born naturally like that or not. Um, they, I believe the AKC used to encourage you to put that actually on their paperwork so that you could work with the NBT gene or not. But now with genetic testing, we can just add that into the whole um, screening panel for Australian Shepherds and there's for all other breeds as well. Australian Shepherds right now have a genetic panel of, I don't know, maybe about 10 different genes that we can test for and screen and um, be knowledgeable when we're mixing dogs. Uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't breed always if genetic tests, if, if uh, individual genes come up, you just have to be super knowledgeable about it. And that's a real difference from when, you know, before we had access to these genetic screenings at a really inexpensive price. So like I say, access to inexpensive genetic screening um, for genes that, that cause these diseases is really wonderful. For the panel for Australian Shepherds is a, maybe about 10 different genes, and a good percentage of those are specific uh, genes for eye abnormalities, mm -hmm. um, which is great because we can really screen for them and make um, wise decisions when we mix them with another dog. So that's another level of complexity that anybody who breeds dogs ethically and screens them has to take into consideration. So if you have two studs to choose from and your female is a carrier of one gene, you have to make sure, assuming it's just some genes you can be a carrier and non-affected and other genes it's an incomplete dominant. So those are, it's even a more complex than that. But let's just assume if you're a carrier of that one gene, you wanna find a stud that is clear for that gene so that you're not creating puppies that are going to be affected by that disease. So that's just another level of complexity for Aussies. You have to, to choose based on coat color for the double Merle. You have to 
know the status of, of the natural bobtail of your own dog as well as the sire, the potential sire, sire. and then of course your basic panel of, of genetic screening. And believe it or not, not all breeds are um, good breeders, uh, good mothers, um, good whelpers, whelping meaning giving birth, and that was important to me as well. Um, some breeds need a tremendous amount of assistance when they're whelping their puppies. Some breeds cannot naturally whelp. They have to have cesarean sections like Frenchies and, and other bulldogs. Um, and then once they're born, some breeds are notorious for not being good moms. Uh, and you have to watch them super carefully and make sure that they don't roll on the puppies and suffocate them or flat out refuse to feed them. Overall, Aussies are excellent at all of those things. They're good breeders, they're good whelpers, and they're really good moms. Of course, there's individuals in the breed, um, but I would say it's always uh, a beautiful thing when you breed a female for the first time to watch her mothering instincts like just blossom. Well, when Journey's a great example. Yeah, I mean, she's just a fantastic mother, fantastic breeder, fantastic mother, super attentive to all the puppies. I mean, she's just she's just phenomenal. Right, not overly anxious. Mm -hmm. They can be a little overly anxious. Uh, but, you know, Journey was a year and a half at her first breeding, and, and you look at this dog and you're like, you know, you're just such a young dog with, like, no experience with life. How are you going to do this? And it's just it's amazing to see them go, I got this. We're all good. Uh, Twiggy's a good breeder, too. Um, she, I like to call her a waspy mom. She was really good at keeping her babies well-fed and looking great, cleaned and well-dressed, uh, but was not super motherly. Not so very she loving, for sure. <laughs> she was very like, okay, I'm done. It's three weeks. I want to be done with this. I want to be upstairs with mommy sleeping in bed. Yeah, and I want nothing to do with them once they turn mm -hmm. three weeks and they're on solid food. I'm done. Yep. They're all yours. Uh, Remy w was our foundation bitch, right? She was the first dog that we, we bred here. And um, she was a good mom. We were sort of learning along with her at the time. Uh, she was definitely a bit more anxious. Um, and yeah, I would definitely categorize her as a waspy mom as well. I definitely yes, think definitely. that's where Twiggy gets it from, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, hopping right out of that. As soon as the kids are fed and sleeping, she's hopping right out of that whelping box. Uh, some moms, you know, you have to drag them outside to pee. They do not want to leave those babies. But uh, Remy was very, very good at, at attending to them completely. And then she was out of there upstairs sleeping. We would just leave the door open and she would go up and down and feed them, which was just a, such a cool thing to not have to worry about that. Meadow, uh, you know. She was a great mom, too. A great mom, but the so, most immature dog in oh the world. Oh, my gosh. So anxious. Everything the was place. a drama. Breeding was a drama. For sure. Um, labor was a drama. Yep. I mean, she kept us up all night screaming, and she wasn't even close to having a puppy yet. No, whining Journey, and panting and pacing. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Journey didn't even tell us she was ha having labor, and then we took her downstairs, and all of a sudden, a puppy popped out. Yeah, so we didn't it, even know Journey was in labor. I mean, I thought, okay, well, you know, her temperature dropped. I'm just waiting for her to start pacing and, and panting, which is your typical you know, labor signs. And she was just sleeping a lot. And I thought, hey, maybe I should take her downstairs to the whelping box. And I did. And, and I don't know, what, half an hour later, a puppy popped yeah, out? Yeah, it was crazy. All it was of a sudden, you called me. And I was like, what? <laughs> she didn't even show any signs. She was just sleeping upstairs. Yeah, crazy. So, it, you know, the more dogs you breed, the more you learn about dog breeding. But really, the more you learn about your dog. You learn mm -hmm. way more about your individual dog and their personality and their 
you know, their way of doing things, you become an expert on them, mm -hmm. not so much an expert on all types of dog breeding because there's a huge variety uh, on how, in how different breeds handle labor, mm -hmm. you know, um, delivering and then mothering. And um, it, it's really fascinating. Whenever I'm on my Facebook groups, my whelping Facebook groups, and, and they talk about strange things their dog did, I always look at the breed like, wait, maybe that's a breed thing because mm -hmm. my dogs have never done that. What are you even talking about? Yeah. And most of the time it is some weird, you know, tick or whatever habit behavior that, that that particular breed has when they're breeding. It's really quite fascinating. I always think it's really funny that it, once you figure out the pattern of your female that you've bred for like, you know, four years, that's what we do anyways. Um, of course, now you have to spay them because they're done breeding and you just figured out their whole entire pattern. And now you have to like start all over with a brand new female. And even if they are related, they could be completely different, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is always a frustrating part with starting new. Yeah, um, so but it's a learning thing. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not that you're an, you're an expert on this, you know, being a, a a midwife to dogs. It's you're only the expert on that individual dog, mm -hmm, and then sure. it's a learning process all over again. And once you start to see the patterns, she's ready to retire. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you start all over again. And this is, you know, another thing about Aussies or dogs in general that is both a positive and a negative. It's it's two sides of the same coin. It's that, you know, you really want to be comfortable in knowing the patterns of that dog so you can attend to them and care for them, you know, the, in the best way possible. Um, but that can also get boring. And yep. it's also exciting to see a new mother and see her instincts awaken and watch her, you know, interact with her puppies in a slightly different way than the last female. And, you know, that's, it's a, learning process every single letter every, any breeder who tells you they know everything about dog breeding is not a good dog breeder yeah, definitely not <laughs> they just don't know you no. know you just don't know it, there's so many variables and it keeps you interested and keeps mm -hmm. it exciting for sure so my favorite topic as you know is intelligence i mean i could talk about this topic all day and I could argue with you about, about having an intelligent dog is not always the best thing. Oh, well, I know. I mean, I have, like, <laughs> the most intelligent dog in the house, and she drives me insane. And every single time you're on me, like, she's smart. That's what you get. You want it. That's what dog. you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, Be careful what you wish for. I mean, I totally wished for her, and I got exactly what, uh, what I needed, which is, I think, is, it's a good thing because I, I never stopped learning. I never stopped growing as a trainer, as an, an Australian shepherd earned. Owner. Never relax with Twiggy nope. around. Mm -mm. Nope. She always throws you for a loop. She always gets into really bad habits that I have to, like, rework. It takes me months to break after, um, you know, it takes seconds for her to get into the habit. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So you're talking about intelligence, and part of intelligence is being able to learn a new behavior quickly, right? And Aussies, for those of you who are Aussie owners, experienced Aussie people, know exactly what I'm talking about. You're just minding your own business, and all of a sudden your dog does a new behavior that you don't like, you know, that's not going to be compatible with your life. And it takes one repetition for an Aussie <laughs> to make that behavior a habit. Yep. Uh, so that's really the flip side of that uh, intelligence coin is their ability to learn. Yes, they can learn behaviors quickly that you want, but they can also on their own or through your own mistakes, learn behaviors that you don't like 
in just as much of a flash. And then you are spending days, weeks, or even months or their entire that. lifetime, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure Twiggy will always hate herself in the mirror. I mean, she just oh, absolutely... She's dramatic. She's so dramatic, and she got into this habit in seconds, and then it took me months for her to be okay with looking at herself in the mirror. And now once in a while, if she's having a bad day, she still likes to attack herself once in a while in the mirror. Yeah, I feel like some days she looks in the mirror and, and says, damn, I look good. And then other days she looks in the mirror and says, who are you? And um, I don't know. I can relate to that. I really can. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that about her. Like, I love the intelligence. Like, even watching TV, it's like she always has something to say to the TV, which is like, you know. The know. funny part is the rest of the pack completely ignores her. I know. So usually if another dog barks in the house, the entire pack is up on their feet, either joining in the, the fray, the barking, which is not a behavior that I enjoy, um, or at least looking and trying to determine what they're barking at. But when Twiggy barks at herself in the reflection in the door, you know, in the glass door, or a reflection in the mirror, um, or barks at the TV, the other dogs know that she's just crazy. Yep. And they just ignore it. I find that fascinating. I, I don't know if it's something about her bark that they just read immediately, like, oh, it's just Twiggy being oh, crazy. It's just Twiggy crying wolf again. No, not a big deal. <laughs> Well, she's got a lot of personality, let's put it that way. Yeah, she does. Uh, another quality under the umbrella of intelligence would be adaptability. Uh, I find that Aussies are really adaptable to their environment. When they have a good relationship with their owners and they, you know, have, you have good lines of communication, they're well-mannered, they you know, they're trained, you can really take them in almost any situation because they're so in tune with you all the time. And we can talk about that coin, right? That Velcro on one side and Velcro on the other. Mm -hmm. It's really the Velcro coin, right? They're so in tune with you. They're glued to you 24-7, either, you know, by looking at you, staring at you, or physically touching you. Um, and I love that. And I also um, don't love that. And sometimes I want a little space. <laughs> sometimes I'm hot <laughs> and I just don't want three dogs laying on me. Um, but part of that is is that they're so in tune and I think we talked about this the other day. We were talking about why do you think they're so adaptable compared to uh, many other breeds? And, and I think we just boiled it down to, uh, for an Australian Shepherd, home is you. Yeah, 100%. You are home, not the environment, not the house, not the farm. You are their home. So wherever you are, they are happy. I mean, I think a great example of that is how many dogs we see online that are living in like camper vans and stuff, most of them are Australian Shepherds. Like a wide variety of them are Australian Shepherds because they're adaptable. They can do high endurance activities. They can turn off and be in a small area with you. Um, you can travel around the United States with them and they're, you know, for the most part, they're really adaptable and durable through all different types of environments you bring them in. You bring them to a super cold environment, they do fine. You bring them to a desert, they do fine for the most part. Um, they prefer the cold weather. Well, they though. definitely do. <laughs> Um, but they'll work in the in the heat. Mm -hmm. You give them if you give them water. They like water, they <laughs> for the water. most part. <laughs> most Aussies do some swimming, and we'll do water sports with you. Yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, there are of course we're talking about generalities mm -hmm. within the umbrella of an Australian Shepherd. There are personality um, variations, of course. Uh, you know, Twiggy again comes to mind. She is not great at the paddle boarding. No. Uh, Journey is a, like a natural at paddleboarding, which if you knew Journey, you'd be like, wow, I didn't expect that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, I think it's too slow of a sport for Twiggy. She has too much anxiety and energy, and she doesn't like to be like calm on the board. Well, I think that also kind of leads into intelligence also, right? Because I think that she just thinks about everything all, every moment she's of every day. She's definitely an overthinker, for sure. And so she wants to swim, but then as soon as she's swimming, she's having an anxiety attack because I'm paddling away and she can't swim fast enough. Where Journey's a really, really strong swimmer, so she's very confident in the water compared to Twiggy. And she's also much calmer, so she doesn't overthink things the same way Twiggy overthinks things. She overthinks other things. Well, that's true. And and you then you just transitioned her to the bike, to, yep. to the mountain biking. So running behind Sophie in the woods, Twiggy took to that like a duck to water. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think maybe Journey would love that, but maybe not. I don't know. I'm not a biker, so it's not something that she'll experience. I'm <laughs> happy doing the paddle boarding, especially if you can rig me up a motor for my paddle board. That would be even better. Um yeah, so the, the adaptability is, is a really big umbrella. And um, again, if you have a good relationship with your dog and you have good training under your belt and you, you, know, you really have those lines of communication open, you know, there's really not much an Aussie won't do for you. So let's talk about devotion real quick. Yeah, um, that's a good one. I know that me being more on the newer side of a dog owner compared to your 40 years, um, I was super duper worried um, raising Twiggy for the first time because I was like, what if she bonds to you? Well, um, let's be clear. All the dogs in this house are mine, or at least started out as mine. Ruby's mm-hmm. the one exception. Um, but yeah, they're all my dogs. So you were definitely worried that she would also be my dog. Yeah, and I really didn't pick Ruby. Ruby kind of picked me. Yeah. More of that cat attitude, yeah. for sure. Ruby definitely wanted some alone time. And then when you started going away to college, she suddenly was like, where's my person? Mm-hmm. And I sure. was happy to hand her over to you because she got more individual attention from you. But yeah, so you were worried about Twiggy would bond to me. And, and I don't think this was an unfounded worry. I am, you know, these dogs are my life. Outside of you guys and, and dad, these guys are my life. So it, daddy always sort of laments about how they're, you know, they like me more than anybody. And I'm like, well, that's because I spend the most amount of time with them. You do everything with you them. Know, talk about devotion. Maybe the, maybe Twiggy and Journey are, right, are doing a podcast with our good qualities, one of mine being devotion. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so I was very, very careful to, um, to uh, sort of remove myself from the whole Twiggy thing. You have your own wing of the house. You and Jacob are in your own wing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really sort of um, psychologically did not interact, you know, in the same way with Twiggy so that you could do that. And it, it worked exactly the way. Oh, yeah. I it thought it worked. Did. She's I definitely mean, your dog. She is um, not my dog. Yeah. No, well, I think it's the same thing with Journey. Like, Journey doesn't listen to me the same way that yeah. she listens to you. And, and same thing with Twiggy. Like, sometimes there's just tasks that she just won't listen to you with. And I have to come downstairs and be like, go in there. Yeah. Grandma said to go in there, go in there. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, let's be fair. I could force her to do those things, but why? Yeah, why? exactly. Uh, you know, we, I'd rather her voluntarily do these things. And I understand that she has her person and that I'm not number one. Uh, I may not even be number two. Maybe. Mm, maybe. Um, yeah, so I, I, it was easier for me than I thought, mainly because I had another puppy that I was focused on. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't have to be focused on Twiggy. Um, it was kind of perfect timing, too, because I definitely needed help in the beginning because I was, like, stressing out about stuff. Yeah, Sophie doesn't love puppies, guys. I no. don't know what's wrong with her. 
I don't mind the puppies at all. I've raised a lot of puppies in my day, and I find it really easy. But Sophie, well, Sophie's not a real puppy person. I, I try. It's just, you know, I want them to be perfect. And for what it's definitely a reflection on me because I definitely want them to be. I think you know, it's only a reflection on you because you're young and you don't yeah. have the same amount of patience as I do because you got, I have 30 years on you. Yeah, you definitely have more time under your belt than I do. Yeah, for sure. We all have to work on our, on the parts of us that maybe need some exercise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had journey, you had Twiggy, they were raised together. Interesting that it, the other thing that you have to also mention is that we were worried about um, littermate, littermate syndrome, syndrome with yep. the two of them. So even though they're not related, um, you can get littermate syndrome uh, with two unrelated puppies if they're brought up in the same environment. So littermate syndrome is a real thing, and it is um, because of its name. It's usually two puppies from the same litter who are raised together. Um, it can be, it can happen with both males and females. I believe the studies say that it's more common with females. Um, they sort of bond to each other more than they do the other dogs or the other people in the household. And at some point when they go through puberty, that bond becomes really fractious mm -hmm. and they can really turn on each other and become quite dangerous with each other. The, they start to fight. And once that happens, there's no amount of training um, or behavior mod that's going to make them happy and safe with each other, which is why as breeders we never sell two puppies to the same family. Uh, so we were somewhat worried about that with Twiggy and Journey, but again, Sophie and her brother are in one end of the house and I'm at the other end of the house with Gary and the dogs, and we really spent a lot of time making sure that, they're, that they really grew um, parallel. They, they were raised parallel to each other, but weren't didn't, weren't raised intertwined. They yeah. slept separately. They, you know, stayed separately when we were out of the house. They went out and did separate things out in the world to make sure that, um, well, to help ensure that that won't happen. Of course, you can never guarantee anything, never. particularly with females. Um, and they have a, a good relationship, when you say? Not perfect? No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I think Twiggy's really hard to get along with at times, and Journey's so yes. chill that she's just like, I don't want any, anything to do with it. I don't want any trouble. Just leave no. me alone. And I definitely think the mix of them both being intact definitely is a challenge. For sure. Because when they're both 100% not in heat, which is rare, um, because there's always one overlapping another one, then they get along pretty well, and they can play outside. But when whoever's in heat, it's always like a competition, yeah. which it should be because yeah. they're two All natural in the same house. For sure. So... We like to say that Twiggy is Twiggy's out of Vivian. Vivian runs the household. She is the dominant dog in the household. And Vivi runs the household with just a look. She doesn't have she doesn't uh, have to use violence to get her way. And the other dogs just respect her. She has this really great diplomacy, um, and as she's a very very confident dog. Twiggy was born conf confident, but has not developed no. her diplomacy skills. Oh no 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 no! She's not a good leader. <laughs> Not, she, not she yet. She wants to be a good not leader. Yet. She might get there. At I some hope point. so. But uh, look, these days, I'm like, I don't know. She, I mean, she tries, but some people are just not meant to be uh, leaders, and, and she's definitely one of well, those. Well, for now, mm, maybe we'll at see. some point. You have more confidence than I do, for sure, in her. <laughs> so, under the devotion umbrella, we can talk about how um, we talked about how they bond very closely to their owners, for sure. 
And Aussies in general, and I'm talking in general, guys, there's certainly Aussies who are golden retriever-like in their love of strangers. But the average Aussie is not a big fan of strangers. Nope. Um, and again, we're talking about two sides of one coin. In one way, I would think you would agree, Sophie, I kind of like that, that they're not you know, uh, running up to strangers and, and being a fool and, and ingratiating themselves to people who may not deserve such devotion. Oh, I definitely agree. I think it's, um, for us, I also think it's like personally our personality, which is why it's really nice to pick the dog that fits your personality. Like, I really like a devoted dog who really only pays attention to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's an us problem. <laughs> maybe it is an us problem. And, and also on the same um, By the topic. Same token. Uh, it, it's also like, I, I don't want my dog running up to random strangers and the risk of that and the risk of, you know, um, running out in front of a car or whatever. Like, I know, like, if they're off leash with me, they're not going anywhere because they have no interest in anybody else. That's right. Um, maybe they, animals. They have to like, orbit their sun, uh, which is us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they never really go anywhere. They just want to be with us. I, I hope no, no psychiatrists are listening to this podcast. I know. It sounds very selfish. <laughs> So uh, we have eight Aussies, and, and we have uh, really the, we run the gamut of, of friendliness with strangers. Um, what we've learned over the years, of course, being with so many Aussies, is that they, den- they definitely mellow with age, mm-hmm. usually around three or four. And when we think back on it, even Ruby, who's 13, who loves everyone, yep. she's definitely the, has a golden retriever attitude towards strangers at this point in her life. Um, if you think way, way back when we first got her as a puppy, she was really um, quite reserved with people she doesn't oh, yeah. know 100%. or she didn't know at the time. Um, and as they age, you know, Ty is good with strangers. Vivi's great with strangers. Um, but they weren't raised by us. They weren't raised by <laughs> us. They were raised in, and they have some stuff Sketchy in their background. Yep, um, for sure. Not Ty so much, but certainly Vivi. Um, and, you know, even Meadow wasn't great. She's Meadow, I don't think, let, let Poppy touch her for years. Time. And now she loves him yep. uh, as a seven or eight-year-old dog. I mean, remember we used to walk her in the park and she would freak out? Anybody would come too close to us? Yeah. And so. then it would trigger everyone else. And it was like a whole thing with Meadow. And then you went in this whole ramble about how you thought, oh, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> am I doing something wrong? And I think that's just part of, like, evolving and learning about your breed is you feel like everything's on you and it turns out that this is definitely not on us this is definitely a breed thing well it's definitely a wiring thing for sure i mean when you look at journey she came to us very you know as an eight-week-old puppy from a good situation super reserved with strangers um which brought me down a whole put me down a whole rabbit hole on on how to counter condition that response and i've spent two plus years doing that um Remy, uh, Journey is still really reserved with people, but she also can go places and be around strangers, and she's great with other dogs, and it, it as long as she understands that her bubble is not going to be pierced, and we're really very much advocates that for our dogs, that we don't allow strangers to come up and pet them unless the dog really wants it, and that's, that's a good, you know, uh, rule of thumb for everybody really advocate for your dog so that they feel comfortable in the world. So they want to go back out there with you mm-hmm, because 100%. if they, if they uh, think about going on a walk with you out in the world is a stressful event, you know, they're not going to be enjoying it and the behavior is just going to unwind and get worse and worse. Well, yeah. And I think that's where like definitely training comes in because you just create these bad habits for them. 
um, and they don't trust you. And so then it's rebuilding their trust all over again and rebuilding their relationship all over again, um, which sure. is a slippery slope for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So just one more thing about being reserved with strangers and, and potentially being reactive with um, people that they don't know. The, the hardest part for, for me, and I think you agree with this, Sophie, and, and we do see with our clients as well that come to us with dogs that have reactivity uh, problems with strangers and whatnot, is that um, you love your dog so much and you know who they are and you want people to also see all of the wonderful qualities in oh, your dog. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when your dog is saying, you know what, I don't want you to touch me and trotting off in the other room and going and laying down being totally antisocial with your friend that is over, it, it can be disappointing because you want them to see your dog for all of the glory that they are to you. Mm -hmm. um, and those are just, that's just one of those things about dogs where you really, and, and it really even about your own children, where you really have to s just really respect who they are and accept that, you know, that's their wiring. That's what makes them happy. And it might not make you happy at the moment, but you have to really respect that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times they grow into it. So you might have a reserved puppy, um, but if you let them naturally self-isolate and kind of like work through that, they're eventually going to become curious and come out and investigate when they have more confidence. 17 years later, that comes. No, I'm just kidding. No, no you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a maturity thing and, and carefully cultivating their environment so they feel safe and they feel that it's their choice. 100%. To, 100%. to meet somebody new. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we've covered a lot of ground for our second podcast ever, Sophie. <laughs> yeah. Sophie, part of the, the reason we, we came up with this podcast idea is Sophie and I do training walks every day with our training clients, and we end up having these very conversations about a topic, a dog topic, and we always laugh, like, we should just have recorded it and put it on as a podcast. Yeah, and and sure. that's sort of what you guys got today. Uh, but be patient with us. We'll get better at this. Um, we would love to hear from you guys, uh, suggestions on topics, things you're curious about, maybe things you want us to expand on. Um, but that's it, basically, for episode two. Have anything mm -hmm. to add, So No, I, d I really enjoyed this because, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm happy we're actually starting to get some traction on it. Yeah, well, I guess you're welcome back. <laughs> All right, guys. See you next time on Dog for Thought. Dog for Thought is written and hosted by me, Sarah Brown, co-hosted by Sophie Brown, produced, edited, and original music by Jacob Brown. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Bye.